Sarah said, I'm from NASA Goddard, and I'm on the science teams for both missions, both rover missions. Curiosity, which has um, been on Mars now for over eight years, and Perseverance, which launched just last month. And that was another thing I was sh I should have been at, Sarah, I should have been at the launch. <laughs> and I, I didn't get to do that this year either because of COVID, but um, that's okay. I watched from home, and it was really cool. So... Um, yeah, eight years ago, um, I had my, uh, this was uh, early August 2012, I had my, my shirt on because um, that was landing day. Uh, Curiosity landed uh, after midnight uh, in early, on a day in early August in 2012. And um, it was super exciting. I wasn't quite on the science team yet. I joined the science team a couple months later after, um, after landing, but uh, it was really cool. I've been on the science team ever since and been part of the, the planning of the Missions uh, daily operations since. So, what um what happened that uh, that day here? Here on the left, and then a couple pictures on the right. So, um, this video is actually kind of stitched together from a camera that was on the bottom of the rover, looking down um, and taking pictures every few seconds um, as the rover came down uh, on its parachute. So that's why it's wobbling there on the left, is that's the par the wind basically blowing it around and, the and wobbling underneath the parachute. And then you can see here in a minute, right there, um, the parachute cut away and it kind of went onto the rockets and it started lowering down. And right there, it's descending on these cables and you see the rockets blowing all the dust away. And there you see the wheels coming down and touching down onto the surface. It's pretty wild we have this, um, sort of live video of um, of the, the uh, rover coming down to the ground. And actually with Perseverance, it's going to be kind of a, a true video where um, it's not just going to be images stitched together. It's actually going to be a, a true video coming down. Um, so that should be pretty wild. And because we have other spacecraft in orbit around Mars, we were actually able to time it. So one of the orbiters around the planet was looking down and caught this image on the upper right of the rover underneath the parachute as it was as it was coming down. I mean, that's, you know, from the that whole time sequence from when it hits the top of the app, when it touches on down on the ground is seven minutes or so. We call it the seven minutes of terror um, because it's going thousands and thousands of miles per hour. And then we have to slow down to a soft touchdown, you know, in seven minutes. Um, so it's pretty crazy. And the rover has to do this all on its own. There's no coordination from Earth. It's all pre-programmed. Um, and we were able to kind of just really time it up perfectly and get this picture of the rover coming down on its parachute there, which is pretty awesome. And then on the bottom right is a picture from that same uh, spacecraft around Mars. that has been around Mars for quite some time now. And it kind of took a picture of some of the things that we that we littered the planet with there. So Curiosity is, is shown right there in the middle where my cursor is, if you can see that. And you can see it's kind of a darker spot around it. And that's because of all the dust that got blown away um, that you saw in the video there at the end um, by the rockets as it was coming down. And then the parachute and some of the equipment kind of blew down to the left. And then the, the rocket um, motors itself detached and kind of flew away. So they would crash land and they crash landed up here. That's called the sky crane. And then what you see on that video there at the very end here, the heat shield impact is down here in the lower right. So it's kind of cool we could piece all this together. Next slide here. Yeah. And so um, what Curiosity is trying to do on Mars and what, what the whole goal of the mission was, 
is to understand whether Mars could have ever had habitat that could have supported life. It's not there to look for life. We don't have the equipment, um, the instruments to be able to look for living things, whether past or present. But what we were looking for is whether the conditions were suitable for life, whether life could have survived on Mars billions of years ago in Gale Crater, this big crater that we landed in with the rover. And what we found very, very soon after landing is the answer is very much yes. So this picture on the upper right, have you guys ever been into a stream, you know, walked along a stream or a lake and you get those rounded pebbles, um, you skip, you know, skip stones on the lake or, or just fill those pebbles underneath your toes in a river or a creek? Well, that's because the water basically washes those pebbles and they kind of knock together. And over time, they get kind of rounded like that um, just by bumping into each other and the water um, kind of uh, smoothing them out. Right? And what we found on Mars in this upper left picture is that Mars has these, uh, these very rounded pebbles too, because where we landed was basically the bottom of a lake billions of years ago. And you compare that to uh, pictures from Earth on the right, and it's really hard to tell the difference. Um, you can see on this uh, picture on the upper right here, all these very fine layers. Um, that's from, you know, the mud and, and sand at the bottom of a lake getting kind of stacked on top of each other over time. And and then it kind of dries out over, over the billions of years since it's been wet. And you kind of are left with these really like onion layer, onion peel thin layers of, of rock. And then how we really kind of um, figured this out is that we have on the on the rover's big arm, we have a drill. And that's what this little video on the bottom right is showing. So we drill into the rocks on the planet, and then we can measure um, what the rocks are made of. And what that can tell us is whether that material, whether those rocks ever came in contact with water. And the answer we're finding is, is very much yes. So billions of years ago, there was liquid water and it was warm enough to have that water. And so as far as we know, life as we know it, um, little little microbes and things like fish, <laughs> you know, could have lived on Mars years ago. So the rover here, um, over the eight years that it's been on the planet, I, I put Bethesda to Gaithersburg because that's about how, how far it's gone um, in eight years. And, you know, so you guys can imagine driving on, you know, 270 from Bethesda to Gaithersburg, it's going to take you probably like, what, 15 minutes, something like that. Well, it took us about eight years to go that far. Um, so we landed up here, a place called Bradbury Landing. That was the, the point there where we came down from the first couple slides. And then we drove all this way here, about uh, 15 miles or so. And this is kind of about where we are today. And we've gone through all these different layers of, of the planet. We've actually climbed pretty pretty high. There's a pretty big difference in elevation from, from here to where we are now. Um, you know, kind of a difference between, you know, the, a valley and a, a decent-sized hill, something like that, um, several hundred feet up at the very least. Um, but it's really not that far. You know, on a given day, the rover can only drive about 100 yards. That's kind of typical. And, we, and a lot of days we don't drive. Um, so, you know, we're not going very far at a time compared to how you would go in a car or even on your feet, right? Um, but uh, but we get there. And this kind of shows the difference of eight years of wear and tear. Um, so this is a, a selfie the rover took where we basically have a camera at the end of the arm and we kind of hold it out. And you can, you can basically look back at the rover and we move it around and then he stitch all the images together 
and you get this selfie-looking thing here. So this is the rover nice and brand new clean after landing on Mars. And then this is one from not too long ago. You can see how covered it is in, in that red Martian dust and sand. Um, if you look closely, you'd see we have, like if you look right there, the wheels are kind of tore up. They have holes in them now. Um, they're kind of bent and broken a little bit. Um, so the rover is, you know, showing some age after eight years of being being in space and being on Mars, uh, but it's still doing really well. So what I do, um, what my job is really, um, I'm not a geologist. I don't study those rocks, I and mean, that's what the, the rover is really doing is studying the rocks and the history of Mars. But that's not my specialty. What I do mostly is I like to study the weather on Mars. So I'm actually a meteorologist. I studied, I forecasted the weather here on Earth um, in a previous job. Um, and so I like to study the weather. I like to learn how um, the atmosphere of Mars, the climate of Mars exists today and how it might have been a long time ago when there was water on the planet. And so a couple of years ago in 2018, um, we had this enormous dust storm. So has anybody ever been to the like the desert southwest or somewhere else where we get these like big dust storms or or um, anything like that? Has anybody done that? Jump in if you have. Well, we get them on Earth in lots of places in the desert usually, um, places like Arizona or Texas or you know the Middle East, something like that, Australia, and um, so you get the the wind to pick up all this dust and sand off the ground. And you can um, spread it really high into the air. And, and on Mars, what's really unique about Mars, you can spread it around the planet. Like the whole planet is experiencing this, this storm, this dust storm at the same time. And so two years ago, when we had two rovers on the planet, we had Curiosity over here and we had Opportunity over here. And this is a storm that actually, um, unfortunately, ended the, the mission for Opportunity. Because while Curiosity is nuclear powered, and we don't really need the sun, opportunity was solar powered. And so all this sand and dust in the atmosphere basically blotted out the sun and it couldn't charge, it couldn't get any electricity. And that's what ended up killing the mission. Uh, but this storm developed here, this is kind of a view from, from space and it spread around the planet in this, you know, this red area is showing where the dust is. Spread around the planet and eventually reached us over here in Gale Crater um, where Curiosity is. And this is on the right kind of showing our view. So at the beginning there, when you see it return and recycle, you can see the edge of the crater, those, those hills in the distance, that's the edge of the crater. And then you see all this dust come in, you can see the color change, it gets this really deep reddish color, and you completely lose sight of anything in the distance. Um, it was about, you know, as equivalent to like, you know, a light snow here in Maryland. That's kind of like the, the, how much visibility you would ha have had there. Um, so you couldn't have seen things really far away, but you still would have been able to, you know, drive a car or, or walk along the street without bumping into anything. But it was really dark, it really reduced the amount of sunlight coming in. And again, that's what ended Opportunity's mission. Um, and it was really remarkable to, to finally experience this. These don't happen very often. They only happen, you know, every five or 10 Earth years, every like three to five Mars years. Mars year is about two Earth years long. And so it was really lucky for us to be able to, to study this. And this is um, what I had a lot of my focus on the last couple of years is studying this. Some other things we study, and this is something that, that maybe more of you have seen is um, these little dust devils. And, and these you can even get here in Maryland, 
if you're out like on a baseball field or something like that on a windy day, um, where you get these little whirlwinds, you know, you can even see them in leaves sometimes in the fall, right? If the leaves get picked up and kind of swirl around, um, that's sort of just a little miniature version of, of these dust devils. And you see it here, um, you can see one in the distance on this big one here that's crossing through the frame. And, um, and Mars has these all over the place. I mean, they're, and they're way bigger than you get on Earth. You know, you get these little swirls on Earth that are maybe a few feet across and, a, and, a, and 50 feet high. And on Mars, these things are like the size of tornadoes. I mean, they're really enormous. Um, and they're just all over the place. And so we get to see a lot of these and we get to study these um, from the rover as well. We just have the rover kind of point one of its cameras off in the distance and wait for them to happen. And, uh, and so we watch these all the time. And then what also, you know, Mars has um, clouds, just the same kind of clouds that we have on Earth. Um, Mars has a, a little bit of water in its atmosphere. It's nowhere near as much as there is on Earth's atmosphere. You know, it's too cold forever for there to be liquid water for it to rain. Um, but it is, uh, you know, suitable sometimes that you can snow. And you get these really um, thin clouds, just like cirrus clouds here on Earth. If you've any, ever looked up and seen these little, these real wispy clouds, these are ice clouds um, made of water ice, and it's very similar to what we have here on Earth. And on Mars, um, we get the same thing with a little bit of water in its atmosphere. And, uh, and so we look up sometimes with those same cameras from the rover, and we get to watch these beautiful clouds pass by and, uh, and study those from the surface. So... How do we um, drive a rover that's 100 million miles away? You know, it's a, it's a remote control car, essentially. It's the size of like a small SUV or a Mini Cooper. And, you know, we're trying to drive it basically from 100 million miles away. Um, and so what we do is we have a science team that's, that's more than 400 people, actually. It's an enormous team. And then you add in engineers and people who are trying to control, you know, um, turn that into the mechanical things that the rover has to do. And it's even more than that. But on a given day, and we do tell the rover what to do about three to five days a week, um, we have about 30 people who kind of all meet together just like this on WebEx, um, in the very same way. And, um, and we all kind of come together and we, we make a plan for the rover. And most of the people, um, when there's not COVID times, are at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California near Los Angeles. And so the rest of us though are scattered around the world, all over the US, people in Canada, people in Spain, France, and even Russia. And so we're all in WebEx um, and, uh, and chat, kind of coming together to, to make a plan for the rover. And then we basically have people out in California turn that into the, into the uh, commands that we send the rover. And so we then um, send it to what we call the Deep Space Network. So this is NASA's big, network of these enormous uh, satellite dishes that send and receive data from all the spacecraft around the solar system. So even, you know, the spacecraft like New Horizons or Voyager that are way, way, way farther than Mars, um, down to the things, you know, that are just in orbit around Earth. And there's three of them around the world, one in California, one in Spain, and one in, Calif in uh, Australia. And you can see they're kind of spaced evenly around the planet. And so that's because there's always going to be one that can talk to every spacecraft, no matter which way the Earth is facing. And so that's why they're spaced that way. And so this picture actually is one that I took um, of the Madrid uh, Deep Space Network antenna. These big, huge um, satellite dishes, these are like 
you know, almost as big as a football field across. They're just enormous. And so we talk to, um, we tell the, we get the commands, we send them to the Deep Space Network, and then they beam them out to Mars. And we can do kind of two things, actually. We sometimes talk directly to the rover. The rover has antennas on it, and we can uh, directly talk back and forth from the rover. But it's sort of like, you know, going from your house phone to, um, to going to like a LTE, you know, 5, 4G, 5G, when we talk through one of the orbiters around Mars. So what we usually do is we have the rover talk to the orbiter, and then the orbiter talks to the antennas back on Earth. And that makes us get a lot more data a lot faster. It's just because of the size of the antenna um, on, on the orbiters versus the one that we have on the rover. So our, you know, our internet speed essentially gets a lot faster when we talk through the orbiters. And so that's what we do most of the time. And then the other way, of course, is you got to realize that, you know, a day on Mars is not the same length as a day on Earth, right? So if we tell the rover, hey, um, it's eight o'clock here on Earth, we want you to be doing this. You know, the next day, it's, uh, it's um, 36 minutes or actually about 40 minutes later um, for Mars because Mars's day is just a little bit longer to spin around than Earth. Um, and so we kind of get out of sync slowly with Mars time. And that's kind of what you can see up here on, oops, on the, um, on the upper right. And so when a rover lands, and this would have been true for Perseverance, but I think it's not gonna be true now because of COVID, um, everyone or a lot of the team meets in California and we work on Mars time. So we, we plan, we, we, our bodies are on Mars time, like we're at the rover site planning its day and then sending the commands up up to space, up to, up to Mars. And so your day starts 40 minutes later every single day. So over a couple of weeks, you know, you start out working at eight o'clock in the morning and a couple of weeks later, you know, you're going to work in the evening. Um, and people do that for, for about three months, usually at the start of every Mars mission. Um, I didn't get to do this yet because I wasn't on the team at the start of Curiosity's mission, but I had a lot of colleagues who did. Um, it's pretty disorienting, I think, <laughs> when you, um, you know, when your day starts at a different time every day and you're, you're basically kind of like moving time zones um, a little bit every single day. Um, that's why they only like to do it for about three months because it gets pretty hard on people. So, of course, now we have a, a brand new rover going, going to Mars. Um, it looks a lot like Curiosity. Um, I'll point out the differences here in a little bit, but um, what Perseverance is going to do is really exciting because it's actually going to be preparing to bring back samples from Mars. And so I'm going to have a little video here. So it's going to make, it's going to have a drill. I'm going to skip through this a little bit so you guys have time for some questions, but um, it's going to drill these samples, but then it's going to collect them, to study them. So this out here. And so it drills into the rock. It's going to take a little piece, but you know, the size of a, of a pencil um, is about how big these pieces are, like a little wooden pencil. And then it goes to the front of the rover and it gets a little, a little tube. And it's going to put this, um, this piece of rock into one of these tubes that then hopefully someday in a few years, we'll be able to bring back from, uh, from Mars to Earth. 
you know, we still today are studying the, the material from the moon that the Apollo astronauts brought back 50 years ago. Um, some of my colleagues actually are, are studying them now um, with modern techniques. And that's the same sort of thing that we're gonna do with Mars, is we're gonna keep some of this and study it, you know, as soon as we get it back, and then some of it we're gonna kind of save for the future when we have new techniques and new instruments and, and new science and new questions to ask. Um, and so it's gonna be, you know, really just priceless information to, um, to study Mars, you know, with instruments that we have on Earth. So that's what um, Perseverance is gonna do. And then what we're gonna have is we're gonna have two more missions that are sent to bring those back. So we're gonna have a, an orbiter, a spacecraft that just stays in space and it goes to Mars, and then a lander that's gonna come grab all those, all those little pencil-sized tubes, put them on a rocket, and then the rocket's gonna launch from the surface of Mars up to space, and then, gonna, and then this spacecraft's gonna collect that little sample and bring it back to Earth. And hopefully, if everything goes well, those samples will be back on Earth in about 11 years. And what Perseverance is also doing, which is really cool, is it's actually carrying a helicopter. Um, so this is called Ingenuity. It's a tiny little helicopter, um, has to be super, super light. And it's basically gonna be the first time that we have a, a flying, um, you know, a flight on another planet. Um, these propeller blades are really long, but they're really light. Um, Mars's atmosphere is so thin, you have to really spin these propellers super fast um, to be able to get enough lift to go off the surface. And so these, uh, these won't be super long flights. They'll be kind of like, you know, hopping, you know, 50 feet or 100 feet, things like that. But it should be pretty, pretty awesome um, to see. And it's going to take pictures as it's flying. It'll be, it'll be pretty amazing. So um, with that, that's kind of all I had. I hope you have some questions.